Daniel Pierce, and you're listening to GrottoPod. Today on GrottoPod, writer Lucy Jane Bledsoe, whose new novel is Running Wild, interviews co-authors Pam Berkman and Dorothy Hurst. Berkman and Hurst's new children's book is Filigree's Midnight Ride, the first entry in a series about, as Berkman says, turning points in history, particularly American history, from the point of view of a dog who was there. Filigree's Midnight Ride tells the story of Paul Revere's ride and of a Pomeranian, Filigree, who assumes that he can't help Revere because of his small size. So, without further ado, here are Lucy Jane Bledsoe, Pam Berkman, and Dorothy Hurst. Hi, so this is Lucy Jane Bledsoe, and I am interviewing Pam Berkman and Dorothy Hurst, whose new book is called Filigree's Midnight Ride. So this is a delightfully funny, smart book, and it features a heroic little girl, which I love, and also a heroic Pomeranian dog. I loved it as an adult, but I also have given it to many of my nieces and nephews, and every one of them have loved it too. Um, The illustrations are every bit as good as the text, and they completely enhance the story in this wonderful way. Best of all, it's the first book in a series. So I just wanted to start and just ask you two to tell me a little bit about the series as a whole and also place Filigree's Midnight Ride in the series. Well, Filigree's Midnight Ride is about Paul Revere's ride. And Filigree um, is a little dog who thinks that he can't help out with a fight for freedom because he's too little. And so what he learns is the the things that a little dog or a little person or any person of little persuasion um, can do that perhaps someone larger and bigger and more grown up can't. Um, so we really liked that message. Um, so he stows away in Paul Revere's saddlebag. And this is the earliest set book in this series, again, obviously, um, Revolutionary War. And the basis of the series is that we are telling turning points in history, particularly American history, from the point of view of a dog who was there. And that was Pam, and this is Dorothy, and the series is called At the Heels of History, and it's um, for readers aged 6 to 10, and one of the things we did was we wrote it so that it fit in with the curriculum that teachers use so that kids are learning about history at the same time they're having an adventure story. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, how it works as history. But just a couple more general questions to start with. All three of us write for adults as well as for kids. And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about how writing for children is different than writing for adults. Did you want to comment on that? So one of the things is it's really fun because kids just want a really good story, which means that you have to be, you can't put anything extraneous in there. And I think a lot of times with books for adults, you feel like you have to be smart and you have to add all this stuff in. So it keeps you honest because you have to tell a good story. And, and mm-hmm. Pam, do you have any? Yeah, I mean, on? I think um, it's often said that kids are the toughest audience, and I do think that's true. I think you have to aim for a certain elegance in the storytelling uh, because you really do have to stay on point and you really do have to make certain that everything that you are writing is in support of the theme and the story and the characters. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, there are some technical issues. You know, you're, you're kept to a quite... Uh, short word count, um, which I think most writers find to be something of a challenge. And you have to use evocative and very vibrant language and keep in mind the vocabulary of a, of a six to 10 year old. So those are all things you have to watch out for. But I do and, think the biggest difference, <clears throat> and this is Lucy talking, is that 
I think, right, as you started out, writing for kids is actually much more difficult than writing for adults. Mm-hmm. They're much harder audiences. If you've ever done a reading for kids, they will ask the hard questions. How come that you know, fact on page 79 is in contradiction to what you say on page mm-hmm. 204? They really mm-hmm. care about every dot being, every I being dotted and every T being crossed. You mm-hmm. have to be really, really careful. There's no room for, you know, just suspension of disbelief. Absolutely. And yeah. so, Lucy, your most recent book is Running Wild, which is for a slightly older audience. It's it's middle grade, and it's about a 12-year-old girl who's living with her survivalist family in the Alaska wilderness and then has to escape to save herself and her little brothers. Yes. Um, and so you'd written adult books before. How did you make that transition? Via my editor. (laughs) (laughs) She really pushed me on every single detail to make sure that it was... It's not just accuracy. It's a a level of believability. I think it is that suspension of disbelief that we can trust sometimes in storytelling for kids. And with kids, they're not going to believe it unless you prove it and show it Mm -hmm. and have it be absolutely consistent with all the other details. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. I think trust is a really good word because Mm -hmm. you can't lose... Mm-hmm. A kid's trust, or you're they're gone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a lot of what Pam was talking about that authenticity and the elegance, all of that is like you can't lose them pacing wise, but you can't lose them honesty wise either. Mm-hmm. I think trust is a really good point, and I, I do think the themes too they really have to be very primal and basic, you know, they have to resonate with a kid. Um, uh, you know, we must survive and we must leave our parents. How intense is that for a child, or? I am not big enough. No one thinks I'm big enough, but by God, I can do something, you know, which is something that, that a child feels every day, that kind of kid's point of view and feeling of helplessness and the unfairness and, of the world. Um, yeah. Well, and speaking mm-hmm. of elegance and story, <clears throat> from a writerly point of view, what really, really, really impressed me about Filigree's last uh, Midnight Ride was your seamless plot turns. Um, I find plot is the hardest part of writing fiction. Um, It's so hard to do, and I'm impressed that you did this even writing as a team. And I wondered if writing as a team made these perfectly timed plot points easier to identify and execute or harder? Well, I'm glad they they appear to be seamless. (laughs) Um, That's great. It was really easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We just blinked it out, yeah. I mean, I would say, and Dorothy, I really want to hear what you think about this, too. I mean, writing as a team, there were things about it that were more difficult. And I, I do think, though, that something about writing as a team and having great respect for each other, as, as Dorothy and I do, um, every time we had a plot twist or, or, you know, something we needed to happen, something we needed to switch, something we needed to turn... We really held each other to a very high standard. Uh, And, you know, if one of us said, yeah, that's a nice idea, but you didn't earn it. I don't buy it yet. Uh Well, you know, then back we went until until we were both satisfied it was earned. I think that's true. I think, you know, every writer has strengths and weaknesses. And when you work with someone that you respect, you you have someone whose strengths compensate for your weaknesses, which I think happened with us a lot. And as far as plot goes in particular, we have very different ways of writing, and they came together to make that strong plot. So I come from a theater background, and so I start with character. And so for me, I have a character who wants something. 
what that character wants influences the first plot point, which then influences the character, which then influences the plot, and I unfold the plot that way. Pam has a slightly different way, or a very different way. <laughs> of doing it. Yeah, I, I, that was interesting too. How we didn't know quite how different our methods were till we actually started to try to work together. But I mean, I come from a journalism background, and uh, you know, for me, structure is important. For me, uh, having the important things down right away is is important. Um, and uh, for me, the uh, the movement of the story is where I start, and uh, so I I like to know or figure out somewhat ahead of time. It's all malleable, but somewhat ahead of time, where my plot points are going to hit, where I need to go, uh, and I tend to map those things out, uh, which isn't what Dorothy does. So I think we had kind of an overlay of the two things. I mean, I definitely feel like it made me a better writer. Um, yeah, I mm-hmm. as well. And it's it makes you challenge your assumptions. And so sometimes I think, I don't want to use the word lazy, but sometimes as a writer, you get tired. We all have lazy points. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. And so you think, oh, that's good enough. And then your partner is like, no, uh, you haven't convinced me yet. And so when we took the way I write with the the character influencing the plot, influencing the character, which is my my Bible of how I write, and then Pam's very elegant way of plotting things out, and put it together, that's what helped us develop the plot for Filigree. I mean, I was just impressed knowing you and hearing about this process as you went along. Just, yeah, the level of respect and listening to each other's points of view. I mean, that's, I think that's rare in all human relationships (laughs) that you both could see how you each did it differently and used your strengths to come up with this great book. I mean, that's really impressive to me. We worked hard on it. We have a mutual friend. And you didn't, you didn't like just, you know, gloss over your differences, you know, Mm -hmm. which some people would do, like be afraid of the conflict. You said, here are differences (laughs) and, you know, here's how we're going to talk it out and work it out. Mm -hmm. When we first started working with this, because we're both people pleasers, we were both afraid (laughs) that each of us would like not hold on to our ideas. That did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Although I would find that sometimes uh, one of the things we did was to take, uh, the story at various times and look through and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with things I think should be cut out of it. And we both had this habit of not cutting each other's stuff. And then when someone would come back and for example, Dorothy might've cut something and I would have said, well, I would have cut that, but it was your idea. So I didn't think I could. (laughs) And you know, um, we're, we're getting over that. We're getting over it. Yeah. Well, you also achieve, in my opinion, the, the, the perfect level of suspense in this book. And I think about suspense a lot in my fiction because I feel like especially in contemporary fiction and especially in very recent contemporary fiction, the suspense quotient is jacked up to such ridiculous levels that mm-hmm. I actually get bored rather than engaged. Um, and. I think at least part of how you've achieved this per- perfect level of suspense, I mean, I cared very much. I wanted to keep turning the pages, absolutely, but I never felt like, oh, come on, mm-hmm. that feeling. And I think you do this because you stay very true to the organic story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. Do you want to comment on that? That that was very important to us to tell an organic story. And part of what we would talk to each other about is, like, did you earn that? Is that real? And it really is... It's an adventure story, and scary things happen to Filigree, and he has to be brave, and he has to deal with these scary things. But it's also a story about a little dog who finds out that he's valuable even though he's small. And that character development was as important to us as the adventure story. And so we always kept that in mind and wouldn't do anything that wasn't true to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I feel like well, ne- neither Dorothy or I would have been comfortable with a high stakes that was sort of grafted on. Um you know, just for the sake of, of high stakes. And I, I do think uh, sometimes 
in movies, books, and so on, the stakes so often just seem to be the world will end. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I, I think you get to a point where you're sort of, oh God, is the world going to end again? Um, <laughs> and you know, and if that is not based in emotional resonance and in the characters' most deeply held wants, you know, the wants of their heart, it's it's going to feel empty. And I do feel a reader is going to be less involved. They may not, they might not specifically you know, state that that's why, but something's going to feel not particularly interesting to them about those stakes um, if it's not rooted in that character. Yeah, and I'd be curious, Lucy, how you handled that with Running Wild as well, because it is a story of a 12-year-old girl and her 10-year-old brothers by themselves in, in the, the heart Alaska. of Alaska. Right. <laughs> yeah. Escaping. They encounter yeah. a bear. They, there, there are things that happen that are very scary. So how did you approach that to make it true? Um, I, yeah. I mean, it was really difficult. Ha- half of the book is very much the adventure story of them escaping. And the second half of the uh, story is how they um, come back together with their family and find that the things that each character wants. And, and early drafts um, and an early interest with editors, I heard a lot about, oh, you know. And th- this is it's hard when you write about something like, um, kids in the heart of Alaska when I know a whole lot about Alaska mm-hmm. and an editor and mm, let's just say New York doesn't they're <laughs> like oh my god the bear attack has to be this way and usually they want it to be much more stereotypical you know the bear on its hind legs the claws out you know and they really wanted me to sort of take it to what I felt like was this false level of suspense when actually these are three kids who have lived in Alaska since they were baby. they know how to deal with bears I mean I've dealt with you know brown bears what we call grizzly bears down here in the lower 48 so I really wanted it to be true to these characters but I had to sell that to an audience who uh, might not know how kids in Alaska know how to deal with things or like running rivers or all kinds of things. So I certainly wanted that adventure to come through. But I think what you both said is is the key, and that's staying true to the suspense and the story of the among the characters. So the love between the three siblings, in my case, um, who are escaping, the love for their family, the, the you know, uh, um, sort of negative... Uh, evil characters are the hardest to write. In this case, the father is sort of the bad guy, but I had to find the love for him too, and the, mm-hmm. the characters had to find the love f- for him. And once I had the characters finding the love for who they were escaping, then that's the suspense right there. And to me, that's a much more interesting susca- suspense than, you know, will the bear kill them? Mm-hmm. One thing that comes to mind when you talk about that is what makes the suspense work is what they have to lose. Yeah. And so if what they have to lose is the love of the family, if what, you know, uh, filigree has to lose is if Francis's father dies, then the family is no longer there. So I think that's one of the other things is mm-hmm. why? What's the point of doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and what everyone really cares about most are the rela- relationships in their lives, their friends, mm-hmm. their family. Um, it always comes back to love. That sounds corny, but it mm-hmm. does. And if you can find that in all your, all your characters, every single one, mm-hmm. uh, that's usually, I think, where the best suspense comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about y- your uh, book is uh, historical fiction. Um, and in writing fiction, we get to, you know, be free with facts. We get to make everything up. And so historical fiction is a little different because you're free with facts, um, but which ones? And um, people feel really differently about this. I very strongly feel like the best historical fiction stays as close to the facts as is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you definitely do this with Filigree's Midnight Ride. You even go so far as to pretty much use primary sources, mm-hmm. which impressed me for a book for very young kids that you're using these primary sources. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you want to talk a little bit about the research you did and and, and your how close you're staying to the mm-hmm. facts and where you vary? Sure. Uh, well, 
One thing is that Paul Revere himself wrote a deposition not too long after the ride, uh, I believe for the Massachusetts Continental Congress. I'm sorry, I'd have to go back and check that, uh, in which he gives a pretty much minute-by-minute account of what happened. So, I mean, there is this very clear, very primary source there. Uh, and there are other primary sources. And there's a terrific book uh, by a man named David Hackett Fisher uh, about Paul Revere's ride. Uh, and we spoke to people at the Revere House who are experts in this and uh, the Lexington Historical Society and so on. One thing that I think you often find with historical fiction is sometimes the facts are just so cool and interesting and surprising. Mm -hmm. You don't need to make it up. There are all kinds of things about this ride that a lot of people don't know mm -hmm. and that are really interesting. For example, he wouldn't have shouted because he was trying to keep quiet because he didn't want the British patrols and the the loyalist neighbors to know he was there. I mean, that's really interesting. Um, so we, you know, we we were fortunate in that there were all kinds of things like that that we could use. And and also, I feel like when you're um, when you're inserting this sort of fantastical element, right? This this little dog <laughs> who can talk to other dogs and to the the horse that they're riding, and you know, other things, and who is warding Paul Revere and doing all this stuff. Um, one of the things that helps sell that sort of fun, whimsical, fantastical element is if the other facts surrounding that are absolutely as concrete and true as mm -hmm. you can make them. Mm -hmm. Dor? And sometimes that's absolutely true. And sometimes you find a great nugget of the story when you do the historical research. So, for example, Paul Revere, and we're going to give away the plot, so if you don't <laughs> want to hear this, stop listening. Paul Revere was captured um, at, at one point in the night. And he was freed because there was first one shot and then a volley of shots fired from Lexington that made his captors think that they were going to be in trouble. And no one knows why those shots were fired or who fired them. And that was a perfect place to insert a little dog who might just make that happen. Yeah. I mean, one thing I love about reading historical fiction is the way you realize what your uh, idea of a historical event is and how often different it is from the facts. You know, you just, everybody has a picture of Paul Revere's Midnight mm -hmm. Ride. We all have a picture in our head from the poem primarily. Mm -hmm. But you both reveal all of this. I mean, in a very short book, it's for what age is the book for? It's ages six to 10. Six to 10, okay. And yet I loved reading it. <laughs> and I felt like I learned so much about that era of history in so few words. And I think historical fiction is really wonderful for that. And like you were saying, Pam, you discovered all these facts that you know you didn't even know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's really wonderful. And part of what we wanted to do was make it fun for kids to learn something about history without it being something, you know, that they have to do because it's their class. And it's just a new way, another way in mm -hmm. to learn about history. What's exactly, you have you tell a whopping good tale and you also reveal all these facts of history. I mean, I'm imagining that a lot of um, teachers in schools will want to use this as part of their mm -hmm. text. Well, and it was really a primary goal of ours to have it be a fun adventure story. And and so that we were always testing for that. Is this still a fun adventure story? Did we you really feel like that. that? Did you have to work on that balance? You know, the history versus the fun. We did. I mean, the well, Paul Revere's ride lends itself so well to an adventure that it was easy in that sense. But that goes back to when you're writing for children, you want to get the information in there, and you don't. You want to make it true. And a lot of the things people think about Paul Revere aren't true but it can't bog down the story. So it's really a question of what is absolutely essential. And in our case, what is a dog going to notice? Mm -hmm. You know, a dog isn't necessarily going to be, you know, in the rooms where some of the decisions are made. And so 
what would a dog understand? What would matter to a dog? And mm-hmm. what can a kid digest? Mm-hmm. And I think for all historical fiction writers, actually for children and for adults, you find all this wonderful information, and it's very tempting to just put it all in. Mm-hmm. And like Killing Little Darlings, sometimes you have to just think, yeah, that's a great fact about that time period, and it doesn't serve the story. So I'll just have to save that for another time. Um, you know, you don't have to put in every single thing that you find out. And that's, that's a good so point. hard to do. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's hard. I, I find that often with, with newer writers is that they want to show their homework. They want to say, look, I did all this research. It's there. And that's not what you mm-hmm. want to, that's not what your reader wants. Your reader wants a good story. And all the research you did, even if you don't use it, is there. It's, it's mm-hmm. in the subtext. And so even if you don't get to put your little darlings of historical research in there, it's all in the subtext. It might be one line. It might be what they pick up from the mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. It's there. But it's not all there in exact words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing um, where writers start with a story or a novel, um, whether, you know, often it's just an image, sometimes it's an idea, sometimes it's a character, sometimes it's a scene. I'm guessing with this series of books you're doing, you're choosing first the historical event you want to illustrate. And I'm wondering, and you can tell me in a minute whether that's true, but I'm wondering if that is the case, then how do you choose the child character that you're going to use for the protagonist? And how do you choose the dog character who you're going to use, who will be the best ones for telling that particular story? So we do start with a historical event, and we have a list, and we we, we chose, um, the first one we chose was Paul Revere's Ride. The second one we chose was The Gold Rush, California Gold Rush, which is Bobo's Cave of Gold, which is the next book. And then the third one is um, Ellis Island. And so we choose the the period of history. And in the case of Paul Revere, he did have a nine-year-old daughter. So that worked out really well. We chose her as a child. And then once we chose Paul Revere's ride, we needed a dog who was small enough to stow away with him on his ride and crawl in the saddlebag. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we got to a small dog. And then Pomeranians were in the colonies at that time. And so that's why we went with with Filigree, our Mm -hmm. Pomeranian. And then his personality developed from there because what would a little dog do with all these big dogs around him. And we also thought of um, mixing it up gender-wise. You know, we wanted to make sure that we had um, both some some boys and some girls and um, some male and some female dogs, you know, um, going on the adventures and doing a bit of an even mix of that. Uh, and then often the historical uh, period itself might suggest something uh, in the setting, for example, the next one, again, Bobo's Cave of Gold, which is about the California gold rush, where you wouldn't have had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of pet dogs and so on in the Sierra foothills. But, you know, there were roaming packs of, of dogs who had amalgamated. And, and so that's our, our dog hero in that one. And it was important to us with the children to have children from different backgrounds be able to see themselves. And so we kept that in mind as well mm-hmm. as cho- in choosing our kid sidekicks. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten any feedback from kid readers? Well, we've been doing school visits, which have been marvelous. And the kids just, they love it. And they want to write more stories about filigree. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's just been delightful. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the sweetest thing is they'll sometimes say, will you write a story about, you know, and they'll name, you know, the breed of their pet dog yeah. and, you know, or something their their dog has done or a dog they've known. And, of course, we always like to say, well, we think you should write that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that is so much fun yeah. about kids. I mean, it's, it's like maybe I'll just write for, for kids forever from now because 
you're reading to them and they're just hanging on every word mm-hmm. and they're 100% in the story and they gasp. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's just such a oh, delight. Yeah. And when bad things happen to filigree, oh, it just, you know, you can tell it just hits them. They understand what that is like, you know, it... Uh, it's that, a great reaction to that's watch. A, yeah, something else about kids and also about dogs, which is interesting, is a sense of justice and right mm-hmm. and wrong is so strong and yes. clear. Mm-hmm. And if an injustice happens, they're just furious. Yeah. Which is great. Mm-hmm. So just one or two more questions. Um, what was the hardest part of writing this book? This is a trick question. W- would you say it was trying to write it in partnership? I, for me, partly that... Um, what was the hardest part? For me, it's what not to put in. Mm-hmm. Like, what so to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, what's important and what stays with the story and what has to go, mm-hmm. I would say, for me. What was, what was for you? Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because it was so rewarding to write in partnership. Um, but I was almost sure that was what you were going to say. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I, I do think it, wa- it was a real challenge for us to learn, and we learn every day more about writing in tandem, every single day. Um, but, uh, you know, I always say Dorothy and I, we've known each other at least 20 years. Many of those years we have spent next to each other in cafes, both of us writing, you know, on different things. And so to, to get together and start to do this, I mean, you would think we knew something about each other's writing process and, you know, apparently not. Um, <laughs> so um, so it just it just took a long time um, for us to kind of figure out where what we were assuming about the other person that we didn't even know we were assuming about their process. Uh, and again, you know, we're old friends and, uh, you know, have great, great respect for each other. So I think it worked out really well. And we, we, you know, we're very honest with each other and, you know, kind of made that deal with each other and so on. Um, but, but there, you know, I think we both had these experiences where one of us would do something and, and the other person would sort of knit their forehead and say, well, but what? why'd you do that? And, well, why wouldn't you do that? We would, you know, end up having hours of conversation about it. So, uh, yeah, one of the things that was so, so fascinating about that is that I think I'd be interested in your thoughts, Lucy, as well. And this is like, writing is weird. (laughs) You know, it's like you get this idea and you've got this brain that we're given and you try to then make it into a story. And you assume that the way you do it is the way to do it until you start working with someone else. And then things that are absolutely obvious to you, of course you write a story this way, is like speaking a foreign language yeah. mm-hmm. or speaking dog <laughs> to somebody else. And so it made me realize that what I think is just my natural process is just one way to write. And I thought that was really interesting. Well, what I love about, I mean, I think it's one of the things I love most about being a writer is it's always new. Um, after yep. a few books, I feel like, okay, now I know my process. Now I know how to do it. But every single project has its own process, and it's different mm-hmm. from the one before. I, I come at the story from a different place. I started a different place. I've learned new things. I have a higher bar. But also it just all feels different and new every time, which I love and which I also hate because <laughs> it, you, you want to have sort of this body of knowledge. Okay, this one I'm going to crank out in six months. Mm-hmm. But it never happens. Um, 
Anyway, I just, I'm going to wrap up now, but I'm Lucy Jane Bledsoe. My new middle grades novel is called Running Wild. It just came out a few weeks ago. I'm talking to Dorothy Hurst and Pam Berkman, whose new book is Filigree's Midnight Ride, and it's part of a series called On the Heels of History that's telling uh, major events in American history through the point of view of dog. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. It was Thank great you. talking to you. Great talking to you, book. And that's our show for today. Grottapod is produced by Susie Gerhard, George Higgins, Ben Marks, Beth Weingartner, and myself, Daniel Pierce. The music is by Sugartown. Grottapod is concocted in-house at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. Please review and subscribe to Grottapod in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Pierce. Thanks for listening.